what are we for? How will we make a difference in our time and place? Because we have been called. Called to rise up and attempt great things for the kingdom. A kingdom that is bigger than a city. It's bigger than a state or even a country. It's a kingdom that covers the globe. And unlike realms of the past, whose rulers have faded with history, our king is alive. And he has called us to spread the good news of hope and love, to build up a community that impacts the world for good, to make our mark for his kingdom. Well, good morning, good morning, church, and welcome back to our series. We're in this great series called For the Kingdom, and I'm so excited about what God's teaching us and the way God's growing us in the midst of this series. We're also a part of our 50 days of prayer, and so we start on September 16th and leading up to November 4th and praying for God to do great things in our lives individually and our families and for God to do great things in us as a church. Now, we started this series with this question. We said, what are you for? What are you for? Right, and we're all for different things. We're for different college football teams or different pro teams. We're for you know like our kids' schools, or we're for uh, a certain vacation spot, or we are for a certain band. But together, as the body of Christ, we want to be for the kingdom of God. We want to be for what God is for. And Jesus taught us to pray, "Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven." And so we want to be people who are kingdom bearers. And saying, hey, we are going to live for the kingdom and not just get caught up in all the trivial and the things that are here today and gone tomorrow and the latest fad and the latest what's happening here. We want to be people who are living for things that matter, living for the glory of God. Man, we talked the second week, we said that God's called us not to be spectators, but to be participants. And a lot of people want to kind of sit up in the stands and get their popcorn and a little snow cone, you know, and watch everybody else live it out. But God's saying, no, you get in the game. You become the hands and feet of Christ. And it all comes down to your heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. We are in it. And we want to be living it out. And then last week we talked about that it takes a team. It takes a team, right? That we are a part of the body of Christ, the church. And some people say, well, you know what? You know, I, I like Jesus, but you know, I really don't like the church that much. It's like, What? You know, it's like, well, you know, I could be a Christian without going to church. I'm like, really? I mean, you know, come on. You know, that's like saying I'm a football player, but I'm not on a football team. You know, I'm a soldier, but I'm not in the army. No, it is the body of Christ. And we lock arms. We grow together. We serve together. We become all that God intends for us together. And we are looking in our series back at the most exciting time for the people of God back in the Bible days, right? Back in the Old Testament, the people of God, their most exciting time is when they locked arms. They said, let's do something great for the glory of God in our day and our generation. And they did. And God blessed. And we're saying, hey, we want to do that today. This is our day. This is our generation. Let's live it for the kingdom. So if you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you up and back with me to 1 Chronicles First Chronicles, we're going to be in chapter 29, chapter 29, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. So if you turn there with me, if you uh, don't have a Bible, we have some Bibles in the back. I'd love for you to grab one, put your name in it, it's yours, free gift, keep it with you, but it's there in the Old Testament, it's in that first and second section, first, second Samuel, first, second Kings, first, second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, just there in that section. 
And so pick up 1 Chronicles 29. If you uh, don't have a Bible, but you have a mobile device, you can access the scriptures at version, or we'll put the scripture on the screen. You can follow along with what God's word has to say. Now let me set it up. If you haven't been here for a couple of weeks, let me just kind of set up where you are to get to 1 Chronicles 29. David, who's now king over Israel, has this vision from God. And, and David has this incredible heart for the Lord. And he remembers when God's people were slaves in Egypt, right? He's thinking back to his forefathers and when they were slaves in Egypt. And back then, like, if you were a slave, I mean, you had no hope. And if your nation was conquered, you were done, right? But they called out to God for deliverer, and God answered their prayers and sent Moses. And, and so David knew these stories. David knew about Moses coming and Pharaoh saying, hey, forget it. You know, he's not God. I'm God. And Moses going, well, just watch this. There's going to be 10 plagues. You're going to find out real quick that you're not God. He is God. And sure enough, after the 10th plague, Pharaoh goes, you're right. I'm not God. He is God. You guys can go. And a million people go walking out of Egypt. A million people. I mean, imagine that. And they're going across a desert, and God sustains his people in the desert. God gives them food to eat in a desert, right? He gives them manna. He gives them quail. He gives them water from a rock. And he says, you are my people. And he says, hey, build this tabernacle, this mobile worship center, and build it out of this tent and this cloth and put it in the center of the community so that you always remember that I am your God, and the people held on to God, and God brought them into the promised land. He drove out the people that were there who had taken over. When the people went down to Egypt, he moved them out. God gave them houses they didn't build, vineyards they didn't plant. And now, under David's leadership, Israel has prospered. David, who's a man after God's heart, he wins every battle he fights. Israel's a world power at this time. And David, one night, is walking around on the roof of his palace. He's looking at all the people and all the houses that they have, and they're beautiful, and their capital in Jerusalem. And, and David's like, wow, look at all of this that God's done for us. And then he goes, why am I living in a palace when God's living in a tent? <laughs> why do we still have this tabernacle here? Let's build a temple in the center of our community, in the center of Jerusalem, and let's say to everybody, this is what we're for. And when our kids or our grandkids say, hey, what were my parents or my grandparents for? We're going to say, this is what we were for. This is it. We want to worship God. We want everybody to know it's all about him. And so David prays about it and God says, man, I love it. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. That's awesome. But listen, you're not the one to build it. You're getting old now. It's going to be your son Solomon. And you fought a lot of wars. You've been a man who's shed a lot of blood. And Solomon's going to be a man of peace. And my house will be a house of peace. And David says, great. As long as it happens, here you go. And he starts giving out of his personal resources. He gives over and above his normal tithe to the work. And he just says, I want to do this. And then he rallies the people. He says, who's with me? And last week we saw all the leaders go, we're in. We want to be a part of this. And they start giving and they just give generously. And they give all this. And then David's blown away. And here we come to see this, that David prays. David prays. Pick up here. In verse 10, David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, now I love this prayer. This is the last prayer that we have of David. And we've been walking, you know, verse by verse through 1 Chronicles. We'll be in 2 Chronicles next week. But this is the last prayer that we have of David's life. And it is beautiful. And I hope that we grow in our prayer life to be able to pray like this. You know, he's praying in front of everybody. He's got the whole nation there. And he prays this prayer. Praise be to you, Lord. The God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, 
Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the what? Kingdom. David recognized it, man, I want to live for the kingdom. Your kingdom, God. Not just the trivial kingdom, your kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. You are sovereign, he's saying. You are in charge. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. You know, David wasn't perfect, but man, he just had a heart for God. He always had, even growing up. You know, a lot of the Psalms that you read in the book of Psalms, those are from David and just pouring out his heart to God in prayer. But he continues and he says, but who am I? And who are my people? That we should be able to give as generously as this. Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as we're all of our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. And all these things I have given willingly and with honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. Lord, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever. And keep their hearts loyal to you. And give my son Solomon the wholehearted devotion to keep your commands, statutes, and decrees, and to do everything to build this palatial structure for which I have provided. Then David said to the whole assembly, Praise the Lord your God. So they all praised the Lord, the God of their fathers, and bowed down, prostrating themselves before the Lord and the king. So David prays. And David just prays boldly in front of everybody. David's overcome with the generosity and seeing everybody join in. He's like, yes, Lord, all glory to you. Now, I want you to notice about David's prayer. If you remember, if you were here and we did that whole prayer series before this series, we studied the Lord's Prayer, that there was a pattern to prayer. And the pattern to prayer is this acts, adoration. You know, a lot of times when we pray, we start with us first. But notice David, he starts with God first. Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel. Man, that changes our whole perspective. I want to be sure, God, that you are honored, you are worshipped. Adoration, then confession. But who am I? And David wasn't perfect. I mean, David was known as a man after God's heart, but David had sinned. I mean, he had blown it like big time. But he never lost his heart for God. David realized what God had done in his life. But who am I? Look, I've messed up, but who am I? And then thanksgiving. God, thank you. Thank you. You have given us all of this. David never lost that, right? Even when he becomes king and he's just like, oh, this is mine. I created it. I did it. No, no, no. He goes, look at this. All this is yours, God. And then supplication. And here's what David asked for. Notice this, verse 18. He said, God, keep the desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you. God, even as they accomplish great things, even as they're successful, even as you give them more, God, keep their hearts focused on you. God, let them have hearts for you. And man, what an incredible prayer. And then for his son, Solomon, 
And give my son Solomon the wholehearted devotion to keep your commands and decrees and to do everything to build this palatial structure for which I've provided. And you know, as they start to build the temple, I mean, many people will call the temple one of the seven ancient wonders of the ancient world, right? I mean, it's just like incredible, this big undertaking that they do. But more importantly than building that, David was saying, I want your heart to stay true to God. I want you to hold on to him. That was his prayer. That was his prayer. Everything we have comes from God, and he never lost that. We are simply stewards. And so in this 50 days of prayer, what are you praying for? In this 50 days of prayer, what are you praying for? What are you praying for in your life? What are you praying for in your marriage or in your future marriage? What are you praying for for your kids? I mean, this is what David was praying for Solomon, that he would keep a heart for God, right? What are you praying for your kids? What are you praying for maybe in your career or maybe in your community or maybe the way you serve? What are you praying for in this 50 days? Because I want to tell you, God wants to do immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine. You know, as a church, we're praying for these five initiatives. One, we're praying for the next generation. Maybe just like David was seeing, I'm going to invest in my son. So we're praying for preschool and children and students. We're praying God would raise up a generation of spiritual leaders. We're praying for a new home and for our Nolensville campus. We're praying for the community of Nolensville that we can reach this community for Christ. We're praying for Nashville that we can reach Nashville for Christ and a new home for our Belmont Heights campus. We're praying for adult space here in Franklin because we know as we pour in, as marriages grow, that we become stronger, as, as our, we grow stronger as parents, as we grow personally in our discipleship and in our depth and our knowledge and our love for the Lord. It impacts everybody around us. We're praying for those things. Guys, I'll never forget, you know, 10 years ago we were sitting in a movie theater and we were praying for a new place. We were praying for a place that we could go and, and be and everybody in the movie theater said, you know, we want a building. We want a building that's not just used one day a week. We want a building that's being used the whole week. We want a building that, that, that can be used for the glory of God all the time. And I was just thinking back over the last 12 days. We never know God was going to give us a warehouse but when we were praying that, God did more than we could have ever asked. And over the last 12 days, you know, 12 days ago, we had the Justice and Mercy International Gala, and, and this place was full, and people just saying, we want to invest in what's happening with orphans in Moldova, and, and the poorest of the poor in the Amazon, and pastors' conferences, and those in South Africa. And we were seeing God change a country. We had this big gala. And then the other night, on Tuesday night, a big women's event, and, and Kelly Minter doing a taping, who's, Kelly's a part of our church, and women, three more nights, three more Tuesday nights, and it's awesome, come, you're invited. And then a few nights ago, we had Danita's children, an orphanage that's making such an impact in Haiti, and I just thought, God's changing the world, and he's using a building we prayed for 10 years ago, God, what could you do today? As we pray together and what's happening in the learning center, what's happening with preschool and children and students, what's happening on Wednesday nights and discipleship is happening, pray bold prayers. Let's pray bold prayers and just like David did and said, hey, let's do something big for God. Let's pray boldly. Let's pray boldly. David prays. Then the second thing we're going to see is this. David empowers. David empowers. Notice this. The next day, they made sacrifices to the Lord and presented burnt offerings to him. A thousand bulls, a thousand rams, and a thousand male lambs. Together with the drink offerings and other sacrifices in abundance for all Israel. They ate and drank with great, what's that word? 
joy. These people were fired up. They were excited in the presence of the Lord that day. You know what they did? They just had a big celebration, didn't they? I mean, they just had a giant party. They just had a giant barbecue, really, is what it boils down to. I mean, a thousand bulls and a thousand rams. There's guys up there grilling. They're happy. Everybody's having a blast. They're just saying, God, we get to be a part of this. This is awesome. Then they acknowledged Solomon, son of David, as king a second time, anointing him before the Lord to be ruler and Zadok to be priest. So Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord as king in place of his father David. He prospered and all Israel obeyed him. All the officers and the warriors, as well as all of King David's sons, pledged their submission to King Solomon. The Lord highly exalted Solomon in the sight of all Israel and bestowed on him royal splendor such as no king over Israel ever had before. David, who could have said, you know what, I know I'm old, but I'm just going to hang on to the throne until I die, and I'm just going to get all the pub and all the glory. David goes, no, 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 no. I'm going to set my son up for success. And David empowers his son, Solomon. Solomon, I want you to win. And here's the first thing I want you to do. I want you to build this temple. And I want everybody to recognize that you worship God and that the nation is united around God. Hey, I'm going to give you the plans. I'm going to give you the money. I'm going to, I'm going to give you the throne. And I'm going to get all my people to bow down to you. I'm going to transfer that power to you. I'm going to empower you to do great things. And here's a question for us, man. Are we empowering our children to do great things for God? Are we empowering our children to do great things for God? See, what I think happens a lot of times, especially where we live, is we're empowering our children to do great things, but we kind of leave off these last two words. We're empowering our children to be great academically. That's wonderful. That's awesome. You know, I'm all about good grades, right? You know, everything, you know, studying, that's awesome, right? We're empowering our children to be great soccer players. That's that's fine. That's good. You know, I grew up playing sports. My kids play sports. That's great. But are we empowering our children to do great things for God? Are we giving them a spiritual foundation? Are we saying, this is important, and I want to talk about this, and I want to encourage you in this, and I want to help you in this. Sometimes parents will come and they'll, well, you know, my kids, you know, they're kind of middle school, high school, they don't really want to go to church. I'm like, really? Okay. What if they say, I don't really want to go to school? What do you say? Oh, that's all right. Don't worry about it. It's no big deal. You know? I don't really want to do my homework. I said, okay, don't worry about it. You don't have to, you know? Well, what are we saying that we value? There was a dad at our, another one of our campuses, and he sat down this week with one of our campus pastors, and they were having lunch, and, th- and this, this dad, and he's got a son in college, he's got another son who's junior in high school, and, and this dad, I mean, you know, I mean, great job, travels and everything, but they've just kind of been hit or miss at church and in and out, and, and his dad's sitting there, and, and he says, you know, to our campus pastor, they're talking about, you know, being more involved in church and those things, and he said, well, I grew up going to church and, and all, but we've just gotten busy, and my kids, you know, they're in all this, and travel, and sports, and all this kind of things. And, and then the campus pastor said, well, you know, you're, you're really a great dad. And then this dad, he said tears, the campus pastor was telling me that tears started coming into his eyes, and all of a sudden he just lost it, and he started bawling. He goes, no, what? I'm not a great dad. He goes, neither one of my kids have been baptized. They don't even want to come to church. He goes, I've missed it. And he just wept, and he wept, he wept. 
This campus pastor, he came to me and he said, well, what do I tell him? You know, what, what do I say to him? I didn't know what to say. I'm just sitting there and listening to him. I, I'm like, all right, he did. But tell him this, he's still their dad. Tell him this, it's not too late. Tell him this to say, hey, listen, I want to tell you, I want to sit down with you and say, this is important to me, this is important to your family, this is going to last a lot longer than these other things. This is for eternity. Tell him to step into it now. Tell him to be bold about his faith now. Tell him not to miss it now. We do a Men's Leadership Network podcast, and we just had a podcast that we released. And, and man, guys, if you're a dad, go listen to this podcast, Clayton Hammerdakia. And he was talking, and, and he was talking about growing up, and, and he just, you know, didn't like the church and kind of went through this really hard time in his life. He said, but then when my children were born, I just looked and I said, no, this is what's important and it started coming back to church. He's involved in our church and our community and body. And, and he said, you know, and I love this statement. He said, you know, I always heard like the best time to plant a tree is when? 20 years ago. But the second best time to plant a tree is when? Today. And he said, I just resolved today. I can't change the past, but I can change who I am. And I can change and say this is going to be important. And this is going to be a priority for me and for my family. And I'm so proud of many of you. You're just saying, hey, this is a priority for us. Man, we're going to be at church, and it's important for us to give our kids a spiritual foundation because that's going to last. And you're making a difference. We've got to do that together. And it's not just short-term, it's long-term, but our kids, and there's little eyes that are watching us, and they're saying, hey, that's what my parents are for. That's where they spend their time and their energy. That's what they talk about because what we talk about is what we value. Hey, that's what they're for. And are they looking at us and they're saying, hey, they are for the kingdom. And I want to be for the kingdom. There's a dad in a church and he told me, he said this. He said, man, I'm going to make sure every one of my kids, right, they're involved in church, you know. But I also want to make sure they go on an international mission trip at some point before they graduate high school, I want them to see how the rest of the world lives. I'm going to figure it out. And I don't care if I have to borrow money. I want to get them there because this is important. This is important. And you guys, you know that. But we get this one shot and this one opportunity. And are we pouring in to our kids, your kids, my kids, our kids? But the difference that we have to make, not just in these kids, but in kids around the world. And when we go to places like Moldova, when we go to places like South Africa, when we go to places like the Amazon, and we have the chance to tell orphan kids, hey, there's a God who loves you, and he sent me to tell you. And the difference that we get to make together as the body of Christ. If you're at the Justice Mercy Gala, you saw this video, but I want you to watch this right now about a kid named Ely. I wish I could say I had a good memory with my father, but I cannot do that. Everything I remember about him, he was being very, very mean. He was beating us up like every single weekend. And if 
my mom would want to stop my father from beating us, would protect us, then my father would like hurt her very, 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 very hard. My parents were, were addicted to, to alcohol and they always used to spend money on alcohol, not on us. They did not pay attention to us. Sometimes I remember I uh, had to find money by myself by gathering like uh, copper and selling it. I got fed like by doing this for a while. I remember that uh, one day we saw how um, our father took this big uh, stainless steel dustpan and hit our mother on the head. My mom was bleeding. My father told us that, kids, this is the last night I'm gonna be with you. I'm leaving. Our father abandoned us that night. I went to the orphanage when I was six years old. I remember when I got in the orphanage, I felt like uh, much better than at home because nobody's physically abusing you there. The orphanage provided like food there every single like, day, three meals a day. And uh, I felt much better and much safer at the orphanage. Uh, in the summers, we usually um, uh, had an opportunity to go to camp, and that was the first time I heard about God. I remember the leader of our team. We sat there, we listened to the Bible story. I have no idea what it was about, but what I do remember is that at the end, he mentioned that Jesus loves you, and this is the only reason that we came here. Without his love, we wouldn't be here. From my experience, like I've been abused by my father, physically by my father, he explained us that Jesus is our heavenly father. He's gonna be the only father that I'm gonna trust in. And I'm, I'm not for sure that I'm not gonna be like abused. I know that he wants the best for me. And more important, he loves me. That was like one of the most important things, like introduction to Jesus Christ. That was wonderful. Uh, being part of GMI was the best moment in my life. I've been in the Voice of Leaders hours for three years. I felt like I, I had a bigger family. I learned so many things in life that I was not able to learn them in the orphanage or even uh, when I was younger. GMI program uh, taught me how to be more responsible for yourself. They taught me how to be more confident. They teach you life skills. The best thing I got out of GMI program was uh, the knowledge about Jesus. GMI uh, prepared me spiritually. In GMI, I learned how to pray. I learned that if uh, things sometimes don't go the way you want them to go, just trust in Jesus. Like, give these troubles or these bad moments to Him because. He, he can handle that. During the summer, we had the privilege to join American teams and going to camps, visiting children, um, hanging out with them, serving them, praying over them. And serving children is one of, one of my best things to do in life because their, their stories can be the same as mine. 
I want them to know that I, I care about them and I'm praying for them, I love them. But more important, I want them to know that Jesus loves them. I do see that God started to work in my life. I see His plan. I see that He's doing a great job. And all those things that happened to me, like bad things when I was in childhood, I really do not regret about them because I trust in God. This is His plan. This is this is His way. I'm gonna hold tightly to His hand and just let Him lead me wherever He wants me to. And I just want to let Him transform me in the man He wants me to be. You know, I remember meeting Ely when he was six years old on our first mission trip to Moldova at Orphanage Internat 2. And, and we've been back every year. You know, as a church, we just keep going to Moldova and going and pouring into these kids. And today we have four transitional living homes. We have over 600 kids that you guys sponsored, over 64 kids that are our kids there. But I remember Ely, a few years ago, he told me, he said, you know, Pastor Jeff, it was, it was a man who was on one of your mission teams from Rolling Hills and... And one day at camp, the orphanage, he came and put his arm around me and he said he believed in me. And he said that was the first person that ever told me that, that they believed in me. And he said it just gave me hope. It just gave me hope that, that there was more to life. And I want to tell you, we have this opportunity to pour into our kids and, and say, hey, we believe in you and God believes in you and God's got a great plan for you and kids around the world. And so I just encourage us, you know, how are you empowering your children to do great things for God? How, how are you empowering them? How are you encouraging them? I'm so thankful that you know, I grew up in a Christian home, and my parents, man, they loved Jesus. I remember in middle school going through a phase where I said, I didn't, I didn't really want to go to church, you know? And, and my dad says, well, as long as you live in this house, we go to church. So you want to move out, that's your choice, but this is what we are for, and I'm so Thankful, I can't even imagine what all the church saved me from. And I just know I was crazy. I would have done crazy things, right? You know, in high school and college, I was thankful. I didn't have to go through that. And, and then when I felt God called us to plant a church, and I talked to my dad, you know, and I majored in finance and marketing. I thought my dad was a business. I was going to go in business. And my dad's like, no, if that's what God's calling you to, do it. And if your child says, hey, you know, I want to go on a mission trip, your child says, hey, I feel like God's calling me a missionary or God's calling me a pastor or something, that we are people who are say, we want to empower you to do great things for God. And it's great if you're called to be a doctor or called to be a lawyer or you're called to be a business person, you're great, fantastic, but use those gifts for the glory of God, steward it well. But whatever God's calling us to, that we are people like David who says, hey, my son, I'm going to set him up to win, but I'm going to point him to God and I want his heart to always be there for God. That's what I'm passionate about. And then we come to the last part here, 1 Chronicles 29. This is the last chapter of David, and David dies. In verse 26, it says, David, son of Jesse, was king over all Israel. He ruled over Israel 40 years, seven in Hebron and 33 in Jerusalem. He died, look at this, verse 28. He died at a good old age, having enjoyed long life, wealth and honor, his son Solomon succeeded him as king. Now, I pray that for all of us. Wouldn't that be awesome? You get to the end of your life because we're all going to die, right? I mean, that's not a newsflash. That's reality, right? We're all, but if you get to the end of your life and people could say about you, he died or she died at a good old age, having enjoyed long life, wealth and honor, and their children 
succeeded them. Their children were walking with God. Their children are doing great things for the glory of God. Yes. Guys, let's don't miss it. This is our time. This is our opportunity. David dies. And when we die, God will ask us two questions. God is going to ask us two questions. And the first question is going to be this. What did you do with my son, Jesus? And everything in the Old Testament is looking forward to the Messiah. It's all leading up to the cross. It's all leading up to, hey, we need a Savior to come. And they knew that. But everything since then is looking back. It all comes down to Jesus. Jesus split history in two, B.C. and A.D. And it all comes back to relationship with God through Jesus Christ God's son. And if you're here today and you've been stiff-arming God, you've been saying, you know what, God, I'm going to deal with you later. I'm going to do all these things in life and then I'll come back to you. No, 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 no. That's the most important thing of life is your relationship with God through Jesus. And when we were dead in our sins and our transgressions, God came to us and he's inviting you and me into this relationship with him. What did you do with my son Jesus? And secondly, what did you do with what you were given? Was it just all about you? <laughs> Are you building your own kingdom? Or did you say, you know what, I'm just a steward and I want to further God's kingdom. And I want to make an impact that's going to long outlive me and I'm going to point people to him. What did you do for the glory of God? You, you know what, I love this verse in Acts, Acts chapter 13, verse 36, and it says this. It says, now, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. When David had served God's purpose in his own generation, guys, are you serving God's purpose in your own generation? When you're saying, God, it's all about you. It's all about you. It's the 1999 U.S. Open in golf. And the three major contenders that year were Tiger Woods, you know, shocker, Phil Mickelson, and a guy named Payne Stewart. And Tiger Woods is in his prime, and then there's Phil Mickelson, who's kind of up and on the rise, and, and Payne Stewart. And Payne Stewart is this guy who, who was brash, he was brazen, and like early in his career, it was all about money and fame. The media didn't like him. He was this kind of competitor that when he would lose a match, he wouldn't even shake the guy's hand. And everybody kind of knew he had this edge to him. He was a hothead, he was angry, and people knew that's kind of Payne Stewart. But before the 1999 U.S. Open, about 18 months before, 18 months before, Payne Stewart's two kids went to a Christian camp. And they came home and they started saying, Dad, Mom, it's about Jesus. <laughs> Payne Stewart went to a men's Bible study at church. And Oral Hershiser was leading this Bible study. And Payne Stewart says, wait a minute, I've been living for the wrong thing. I've been living for money and for success and for the fame of this world. Man, I'm going to live for Jesus. And he got on his knees and gave his life to Christ. And everybody around immediately saw the difference. They were like, this guy is different. I mean, what's going on with him? And in 1998, he lost the U.S. Open. And instead of just getting mad and sulking and being angry, he turned around and he shook Lee Jansen's hand and he complimented him. And people go, whoa, what's happening? And now here it is, 1999. And Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson and Payne Stewart, they're all in contention coming into the final day. The final day is on Sunday. It's on Father's Day. And Phil Mickelson and his wife Amy are expecting their first child. Their first child. And it was, the due date was two weeks after the U.S. Open. 
But Amy said, Phil, go ahead. You have a chance to win. You go. You play. I'll be okay. And she started having contractions on Saturday and said, you play. You play. And the baby's coming, but you play. You win. On that last day, Tiger Woods started to fade out, and it came down to Payne Stewart and Phil Mickelson. And they're both competing, and they're coming in the last hole, and Payne Stewart makes a putt and he wins the U.S. Open. And instead of running over and grabbing the trophy and saying, where's my check and where's the money? He turns around to Phil Mickelson and he puts his hands on his face and he says, you're going to be a dad. You're going to be a dad. And there's nothing greater than that. And he has the what would Jesus do bracelet on that his kid, 10-year-old kid, gave him to wear. Everything in his life changed and I want to live it for the glory of God. And I want to invest in others. Man. Four months later, Payne Stewart was killed in a plane accident. But his legacy lived on. And so many people came to know Christ. Through his generosity, schools have been built, orphanages have been built, lives have been changed and transformed. And here's the fact. We don't even know what is to come. But are you serving God's purpose in your day and in your generation? Are you living for what matters? Are you investing in the things that are going to last? Are you saying to your kids and to your family, this is what I'm for. I'm for the glory of God. And I'm for my heart being with him, whatever may come, the good the challenges, the struggles, the joys, I am for him. Maybe today God's calling you to take a next step. Maybe God's calling you to say, hey, say yes to Jesus today. Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I've been living for money. I've been living for success. I've been living for a lot of other things. But today, Jesus, I want you in here. Maybe today God's calling you to be baptized. And you can say, well, I should have done that 20 years ago. Hey, forget it. Do it today. Say, I want to make that commitment today. Maybe God's calling you to have a spiritual conversation with your kids. Maybe you just say, hey, as a family, man, we want to do this together. I don't know where you are. Maybe God's calling you to go on a mission trip or be a part of a small group or, hey, jump in and serve some way. But, man, let's live it in our day, in our generation. God brought you here today. It's not an accident that any of us are here. But God's word is speaking to us and speaking to our hearts right now. And I want to ask you just to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. And right where you sit, right where you sit, I just want to ask you, what's God calling you to? What's God speaking to you about? What are you praying for When little eyes watch you, what are they saying? Man, my parents are living for this. Or my grandparents, or my aunt, or my uncle. This is important to them. You know what? There's a God who loves you. And maybe Satan comes along and says, hey, but you can't be all that. And you know what? There's a God who says, oh yeah, I created you. I created you to be the godly husband or father or wife or mother or aunt or uncle or grandparent I created you 
And I put those people in your life, those little kids, for a reason, for a purpose. And there's a God who right now where you sit just comes and puts his arm around you and says, listen, I believe in you. I believe in you. In fact, I love you so much that I sent my son to die on a cross for you. You are that special to me. So Father God, here we are, your people. None of us are perfect, just like David wasn't either. All of us are in need of you. And so this morning, God, draw our hearts close to yours. Open our ears to hear from you that you love us and let us live our lives for your name and for your kingdom. Speak to us right now, oh God. Speak to us right now.
praise be to the God who says that we matter, that he loves us, that we are valuable to him. God loves you. If you don't hear anything else today, hear that. God loves you and has an incredible plan for your life. And God, everything in your life, God has given to you. God has stewarded that to you. Precious lives and resources and all those things. And let's use it for God's glory, for God's kingdom. Let's be faithful where God has put us. For we are his. And he loves us. After the service, I'll be here. There'll be people on our staff, our pastoral care team. If you want to talk with somebody or pray with somebody, hey, come down and let's talk or let's pray. At this time, I want to invite our ushers to come forward and it's a chance.